Praise God. Okay. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to get into the word this morning. And um, I just want you to follow me. Get your Bibles, get your writing utensils, get whatever it is you take notes with. And join me this morning as we open the text to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. I'm going to be talking about God's design, built to last. I believe we've been built to last. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. God's design, built to last. Can you say that at home? God's design, built to last. We're going to go into Revelation chapter 21. And um, we're going to unpack Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Let's read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. There's a book that I have in my library. And those of you who, who are really big business book readers, you may have this book as well. It's called Built to Last. It's written by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. It is said in this book that building a company, there are certain, there are certain kinds of uh, uh, details that companies follow, that all companies that have longevity, they have this built into their corporation. This book became one of the most influential business books pretty much of all time, at least of this era. What they did was follow 18 companies, uh, companies like Nordstrom, Ford, um, Disney, American Express. They followed Hewlett Packard, Citigroup. And these companies, they claim, are companies throughout the years, generationally, have been built to last. Our former president, Barack Obama, had a vehicle called the Rolling Bunker. It was called the Beast, and it was some amazing vehicle. Um, it was uh, designed to withstand a chemical attack. It was hermetically sealed, meaning that it was airtight. It, it had, had puncture-proof tires made, made of Kevlar. Kevlar. If you're familiar with that chemical, Kevlar, when you look under a microscope, it looks like ropes. It's a very powerful uh, chemical. Its molecules look like ropes. This vehicle had the president's type blood stored in it, just in case anything really happened. This vehicle was a monster. Um, it was built to last. A statement heard years ago, I heard this statement years ago, that we are spiritual beings 
mastering the human experience. We are spiritual beings mastering the human experience. We are spiritual beings mastering the human experience. When I first heard this statement, this statement really, really piqued my interest. I wanted to know really what this really meant. You mean I'm a spiritual being and I'm supposed to master what I, my experience here on earth. When I heard this years ago, it exploded in me. It launched me into this in-depth study of the entire concept. There's a story, um, a movie that I love, called The African Queen. And it stars Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn. And Katherine Hepburn is a Methodist minister. And she's out, and she's um, evangelizing a specific area. And she and Humphrey Bogart are on this boat. And Humphrey Bogart is, he's a loose man. He kind of drinks a little bit too much. And after a night of drinking and drunkenness, he explains, she looks over her Bible. I mean, sorry, he, he, he explains to her, he says, he says, I'm only human. He says, after all, I'm only human. And she's a little upset with him for getting drunk. She looks over her Bible and she looks at him. She says, she says, Nature is what you will put here to rise above. I found that interesting. When God enters a life, he enters a life, and that life experience is what we call the born-again experience. My human spirit is now made alive to God. I was once dead, now I'm alive to God. In Romans 8, 16, it says this, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In other words, my human spirit now with God's spirit, there's a witness between the two of them and there's an, an acknowledgement inside my own heart. I know that I'm a child of God. It's like you know you're a child of your parents. It's just something you know. Every design of God and every child of God has been built to endure whatever they face. Why? Because they have God's spirit. Every design begins with a concept and we are no different. God began us with a concept, an idea. And concepts are interesting. Here's the definition of concept. A concept starts as a thought. It shapes into an idea and then it forms into a concept and becomes a reality for us. A concept starts as a thought. That vehicle, the beast, started as a thought. Shapes into an idea. It forms into a concept. I'm sure they probably went through several concepts. And then it became a reality. That's how concepts start. start. We live in a world full of concepts. And they become our experiences. We ride in electric cars today. We have groceries delivered to our doorstep. We can order meals just by picking up a phone. We have concepts that have become our experience. A thought carefully meditated on which begins to take shape is called a concept. We have a better word for it, an easier word, a more relatable word, we call it a brainchild. We call concepts a brainchild. 
And so, in fact, the believer is the brainchild of God. In other words, we started in the mind of God. We often say that, that we did not begin in our parents' womb. We began in God's mind. As a child of God and as a follower of Jesus, again, we are designed a specific way by God, but we're designed to endure whatever we face. There are times we're encouraged to meditate on his words. He says, meditate on my words. Um, Lord, let my, my meditation be acceptable in your sight. Meditate on the word of God. Because there are some concepts of God that need to be meditated on so that they can begin to develop on the inside of us. So there's some things we need to meditate on so we can, so we can have that concept envelop itself. It becomes revelatory to us and we can understand it and God unpacks it for us so that we can fully embrace it. The concept of us being God's children is a revelation. And God's concept of us he has a concept that he shared with us even in the development of the old tabernacle that Israel used and moved from place to place with them. We can see ourselves in that Old Testament tabernacle. Here's a picture of it. You notice on the outside there's an outer court. There's an entry point. You go into a certain space and it's called the holy place. And the next compartment is called the most holy place. It's a concept of God. God begins to share this with us to give us a picture of our own threefold nature. The outer court being my body. The inner court being my soul or the holy place there. And the most holy place being my spirit. Because the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant rested. God's presence with Israel rested in that compartment. It typifies me. He says, he says in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 that he would like for us to be blameless spirit. In our spirit, soul, and body. We have these three areas of our humanity. And very often the world only acknowledges the soul. But the scriptures teaches us that there's a deeper place. A place where God resides. It's called our spirit. Can you say that with me? My spirit. Yes. And so there's a spirit that God relates to us. It's our spirit where the 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 the. the the conversation with God takes place. It is the spirit man that God infuses his power in us. It is in our spirit. And it says, inside the ark were the Ten Commandments, God's law. Well, guess where God places his law inside of us? He has an expectation. He, the, the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, so I may not sin against thee. Heart being also the spirit of, you, of man. My, that word I've hid in my heart, so I won't sin against God. The word of God hidden in the most holy place of my being. Why do we hide the word in our heart? Because it's the place where God dwells. 
It's a place where God speaks. It's a place of God's power in us. Because he dwells there, he considers, he just doesn't consider your, your spirit his habitation. He considers the whole body his habitation. Look at what it says. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Wow, that's powerful. You don't belong to yourself. There are people who carry themselves, especially believers, who think they belong to themselves. Well, you've been bought with a price, for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. So him inhabiting our spirit, man, still God considers the whole habitation his tabernacle. It is his tabernacle, our threefold nature. Because he dwells there, he considers the whole entire person his tabernacle. What was in the ark of the covenant? What was in that ark? It was his commandments, God's law. He gave Israel a moral compass to live by. He gave them a, a, a set of laws to govern their actions. He gave them something to direct their hearts and minds toward so that they would know what he expected. Well, today he has deposited his word in our hearts. Does he expect us to, and a certain behavior, certain moral attitude, a certain understanding of that? Yes, we live in a world today where morality is left to everybody. They do what they want to do, their own mindset. We have an individualistic uh, uh, culture that we live in, an autonomous culture, and because of that, humanity feels that they can do what they really want to do, and they do. But God expects the believer, he expects the person he inhabits to live according to his word. You know, there was a movie out years ago that came out and said, um, love should have brought you home last night. When love is, is the factor, when we say we love God, love controls behavior. Love determines how you behave. And so God has given us this moral compass, and if it's God's word that provides the guidance for us. How does he do it? In our spirit man. Let's go a little deeper with this concept. Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. Light is always uh, epitomized with God. God lives in light. And so whatever God does, it is about light. Light shines in our inmost being. What is that inmost being? It is that most holy place in our being, our spirit man. It is where God dwells and where he shares himself. God's light is his power and it resides in the spirit of a person. I'm being a little redundant on purpose this morning because I want you to really soak this up. Job 32 verse 8 says this, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the almighty that gives them understanding. It is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty 
That same breath that created Adam, that breath that brought man to life when he breathed into the dust of the earth and a living soul, a thinking, feeling, acting being came to life. It is that same breath that God breathes on us today, that same breath that gives them understanding. It's that same breath. This is the breath. It is an uncreated, infinite, eternal spirit. God living on the inside. Now this does not happen naturally, nor does it happen in everyone. But to everyone that accepts Jesus as Lord, God enters their life with his un, un, immaterial, eternal, uh, infinite spirit. And he brings that life into the life of a person. And that human spirit now locks arms with God's Holy Spirit. And they come and they become a living, a spiritual living being. This, if this, it is this acceptance that opens the human heart to him and his wisdom. It is this understanding that opens our hearts to God, to his knowledge, to his wisdom, to his understanding. It is by this God searches the deep things and reveals the deep things to us. It is this understanding, this, this knowledge in our inner being. Look at what it says in, in 3.16 of, of Ephesians. That according to his riches and his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Do you see that? Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God empowers you. He strengthens you in your inner being by his spirit. He empowers you. He strengthens you. That's how you come to life. That's how he makes you alive. That's how he brings his wisdom. That's how he brings his understanding. He empowers you with his own spirit in your human spirit. In the spirit resides the power. In the spirit of God resides the glory. In the spirit of God, there is understanding. God's spirit in you it literally becomes the Kevlar of your being. It becomes that impenetrable, that indestructible power that can't be destroyed. It is that Kevlar in the human being. There's a saying, you know, I used to wonder, how could a person pull a door off of a car? How can an individual lift a car off another person? They call it hysterical strength. It's an interesting thing. There's science, they're still studying, trying to understand how that thing works. Jack Kirby, who wrote The Hulk, after watching a woman lift a car off of her husband in a moment of time, he began to get this idea, this concept of this being who was all powerful. That's how he wrote The Hulk. He saw a woman lift a car off of her husband. And, and, and it's a phenomenon of research. They say it's called, it's, con it's considered to be tied to increased adrenaline. But the reality is, your strength doesn't come from your physical man. Your strength is in your spirit. It is the spirit of a person. Now imagine that human spirit capable of doing something like that, being united to the all-knowing, all-powerful Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. 
it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. And we, regarded, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors. Everybody say this at home. I'm more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. Through him, everything is through Christ. We do it all through him who loved us. God's design is always more than. I want you to note the language. We are more than conquerors. There are great conquerors throughout history. Their conquests are well noted. You've got conquerors like Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun and Tamerlan and, and Alexander the Great. These people conquered great lands. They conquered people. They were considered great conquerors. Of all the great conquerors in history, the greatest of them all was Jesus. Jesus was the greatest conqueror without question. Yeah, these conquerors conquered armies. They overcame odds. But none of them conquered what Jesus conquered. He overcame the worst enemy presented to humanity, and that's death. We're seeing it right now, folks. We're seeing right now. But what you're seeing right now is no match for his power. The resurrection addressed every crisis, every crisis humanity would ever face. Jesus was on a cross and he said, it is finished. What did he mean? He said, it is finished. I've already conquered everything they can possibly experience. I'm going to give them this power so that they can supersede, overcome. I have overcome the world. What does he mean? Everything the world can present. Every earthly conqueror can lay claim to something physical. But Jesus conquered something spiritual. Every earthly conqueror can lay claim to something physical. But Jesus conquered the spiritual. The Roman government when the first century Christians experienced this encounter with Christ, when they understood the resurrection, when they understood who they were in Christ, the Roman government was hailing these people to death, putting them on poles and burning them with fire. The Roman government lost its power. They realized they had no more power. Because the only power to control someone is fear. And when you remove the greatest enemy that anybody fears, and that's death, you've lost the power to control. They realized they could no longer control these people. These people were beyond death. Jesus had given them something called eternal life. So guess what, believer? You're going to get through this. Those of you listening to me this morning, 
you accept him as your Lord, you will get through this. I can't tell you, you'll get through it on your own strength. You need the empowerment in your spirit that only God can deposit. You need God. We all share in the conquest of Jesus because our lives are hid with Christ in God. The book of Colossians speaks of it. When he who is our life appears, we appear also. Our lives are hid with Christ in God. So here's another picture of the threefold dimension, God's concept. Here's another picture of it. There are three cities that Jesus told his first disciples to go and be witnesses in. But he said, you need to be a witness in these places after you're endowed with power. Here's what he said exactly. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And notice this, threefold. Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And Samaria was considered the end of the earth. Jerusalem, say this with me, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Threefold. Jerusalem means city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means. It is the holy city. It is considered the Zion of God. Mount Zion resides in Jerusalem, a holy mountain that you will see over in scripture. It is interesting because I can sort of typify Jerusalem as the spirit on the earth or the compartment called the Holy Holies here on the earth because it's going to be the place God dwells. It's interesting, the disciples were told to go there and wait. Wait there until you're endowed with power. God doesn't just do anything. He does everything with a purpose. He wants them to go and wait in Jerusalem until the power of God came upon them. That word power there is the word dunamis, or where we get our word dynamite from. It is the ability of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us an ability, a powerful ability that supersedes human power, human strength. He was saying, wait until you get the dynamite, the explosive power, the ability inside you, the ability to stand against anything. Wait there until you get that ability. The Spirit of God released the power of God into their being. That's what happened. When the Holy Spirit came upon you, came upon them, he released the power of God in their being, a supernatural power of God. And he tells us today, be endowed with the Holy Spirit so that you can walk with the power that God has. And the word here, the word witness here, is the word martus, where we get our word martyr from. You shall be witnesses. Every one of these, most of these men that followed Jesus died as martyrs. But they die without fear. Because the martyr, the Holy Spirit, empowered them beyond anything they would face in time. When you have an eternal spirit, things that happen in time are seen differently. Wow. When you have an eternal spirit, 
What you see in time is viewed from an eternal perspective. It's viewed differently. This whole virus, the crisis that we're experiencing, it should be viewed at, from the believer's perspective just a bit differently. We have this power in us. We have this Holy Spirit endowment, dunamis, inability. And their witnessing began in Jerusalem. So let's look at it like this. Jerusalem, the holy place. Judea, the outer court, the inner court. In Samaria, the outer court. Jerusalem, the holy place. The place where God would dwell. Jerusalem would be considered the place God dwells. And if we look at our text, we can see this is where God is going to reside. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. And look at this. Coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Boy, that's interesting. I just recently watched, you know, we're home now, so we get a chance to watch some things we don't get a chance to do other times. And I've been watching this series on Netflix called Unorthodox. It goes into the Williamsburg community of Jews and shows you their life in detail. And I was amazed at the preparation of the bride for her husband to the point where there's a woman in there making sure every detail of her body is prepared for her husband, even down to her nails. They clean the nails out in every facet, every orifice is clean. And then they dip them in a bath a purifying bath, getting her ready for her husband. Well, guess what? The bride of Christ, the church, is being prepared for her husband. And look at what it says here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Jerusalem will be the place God rests. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. The place where God will dwell. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Jerusalem is not just any city. And Satan knows the significance and has had people war over this place for generations. Why do you think so much happens in that place? It's interesting. That little area, Israel, has not been defeated in a war in years. Why? There's some supernatural protection over that place because Jerusalem is there. And we are considered the inhabitants of that place called Jerusalem. God will create a new cosmos for a new people, a new Jerusalem coming down, the new city with redeemed inhabitants called the church. Everybody say the church. Prepared for their wedding. God's presence will be in this city permanently. It becomes clear why that area is so protected. It becomes clear. That little place is like Kevlar. God did this 
to give us a picture. And here's the picture. Here's the bigger picture for us. God's ability to keep anything. God's ability to keep anything. His word will not return void. It accomplishes its, his purpose in the thing to which he sends it. God's word, his supernatural ability to keep the thing committed to him that he purposed. And so God did this to give us this big picture. When he says, I'll keep you, think about what that really means. You've got evidence. A virus and nothing else can snatch us out of his hand. There is nothing in time that can destroy what he created to be eternal. There is nothing in time. You need to write this down. There is nothing in time, which we're living in. Again, time is this parenthetical in eternity. We come, he deals with, he deals with sin in time, and we go back into eternity. There is nothing in time in this parenthetical that can overcome what he's designed for eternity. Here's a fact. Here's a fact. If there is any significant accomplishment that this current administration accomplished, it is the recognizing of this contested city, Jerusalem, as the capital and moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was significant. When I think about this crisis, this virus is a mutation of other viruses, causing it to adapt to its environment. But when I think of the God of the universe who understood all of this and knew that that virus would show up, who knows all things, even the details of this virus, we're not going to find out until years to come. He put in me his spirit. And he put in me the capacity to adapt to anything that comes. I should be able to adapt to any environment because I have an adaptable spirit. He placed in us the spirit of the overcomer. We have this capacity placed in us, this recreated spirit called the Holy Spirit. And so here we are, folks. And what I'm saying to you this morning is a reality. I'm saying there are going to be people that we're going to see that are going to move from death to life. When people are going to be Saved through this. But there are also going to be some people you know that are going to move, transition into the next place. 9-11 occurred. It was really powerful because it, I spent a lot of time counseling people during 9-11 and dealing with the, the impact of that time. And what kept me, what helped me was my understanding of Jesus' perspective. There was a Tower of Siloam, I believe it's in Luke 17, and he talks about 
Jews would always consider, they would parallel when some tragedy would happen, that the person must have sinned for that to happen to them. And Jesus said, he said to them, don't you remember the Tower of Siloam fell on all of these people? He said to those people that were standing there, he said, you need to repent, lest you also likewise perish. He wasn't talking about dying. He was talking about staying dead. You see, he says in another place, don't fear him who can destroy the body. Fear him who can cast both soul and body into hell. Fear God. Have a reverence for God. Because God is eternal and he controls all things. I don't believe God sent this virus, but I believe God is going to get glory out of all of this tragedy because that's just like our God. He can bring light out of dark things. He has that capacity. So he gives us light in our human spirit. And this is what he says to us. The spirit of man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? The spirit of man can endure his sickness. The spirit, the place where God dwells, can sustain, hold up. It, is a, it can support whatever is imposed on the body. We're praying right now for our brother Odom. My wife, the other night when we got the news, she was praying and she was speaking to brother Odom's spirit from our home. You see, we understand there's no distance in spirit. And she spoke to him. She said, Brother O, rise up. Be empowered in your spirit, man. And Brother O is in his 70s, but he's a strong man physically. But he's also even stronger in his spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. You need to understand who you are. You need to understand how you've been designed. God designed you for times like this. He designed you to overcome, not just be a conqueror, more than, because nobody conquered death. He did, and he translated that power to us. He snatched the fear of death away. And when he resurrected, why do you think they keep trying to prove the resurrection didn't happen because if it didn't happen our faith is worthless but we know he did he appeared to people he showed himself he, it was validated in history they went and tried to find him they could not find him he defeated death and he's going to defeat this I ask you let your spirit man rise the spirit of a man can endure his sickness Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Thank you for your word to us. We thank you, God, because we are in fact, as you said, more than conquerors. We are empowered by your spirit, enlightened by your word. And thank you, God. You have infused us to Understand that times like this will come, but may he be empowered who understands the times.
We bless you, Father. You didn't promise that we would leave unchallenged. You didn't promise us in time we would have no issues. You never promised that because you went through your own in time. But you overcame the world and you passed that overcoming nature to us. I pray for every person this morning, God, under the sound of my voice. May they understand that Jesus is Lord and he will, he will rise above this in each person and cause us to overcome. And God, I pray if there's anybody here in the sound of my voice this morning that doesn't know Jesus. If you're watching this broadcast and you don't know who he is, now is the best time to settle this issue. Folks, death is all around us. You need life, eternal life on the inside. You need that which we spoke about this morning. So I want to lead you in a prayer. You never prayed this prayer, pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank God for Jesus. I thank you for allowing me to live to this point to make this declaration. I know that I'm a sinner and I know I'm in need of his salvation. So I ask that you will come into my life. Bring your Spirit, bring your holiness. Bring that holy place to live inside me. I thank you for it now. And I proclaim and receive the destiny you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got places on our site that you can go and send us an email. Please let us know that you've come to the Lord by way of uh, being with us this morning. We want to get some things into your hand. We want to speak with you. We want to encourage you. We don't want to leave you like a baby on the doorstep by yourself. We want to walk you through the process. Welcome to the family of God. TC, we're prepared now to honor God with our giving. I can hear all the clap, hand claps, all the praise, all the worship right now going forth because we understand that that is an opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to go to the website right now, um, log in and begin to uh, make your, give your tithe and your offering, your gifts of love, and continue to contribute to what God is doing with us, through us. We have tried to avail ourselves and make everything available to you. We are still making things available online, but we can't be with you physically, but we can be together in this manner. So everybody right now, the house, will you, can, will you now please just honor God with your giving. Let's pray over the offering. Father, we thank you for the gift and the giver. We thank you for every person, God. We thank you even now that that offering, that tithe, that giving that they're doing this right now will rise up to you as worship. Thank you for faithful stewards, God. The only way we can do what we do is the faithfulness of your people. You do that. No man can do that. You do that. You touch the hearts of your people, and we thank you for it, God, as we continue to preach your gospel, as we continue to sow seed into various areas of this world, as we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the planet, you allow us to do it with the finances you bless us with. So take this offering, be on it, be glorified by it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, bless you. Pastor B is going to come right now. We've got some announcements for you. We want you to uh, avail yourself to these announcements. Praise the Lord. Good morning again, Truth Center, and those of you who vi are visiting us online. If this is your very first time from the leadership here at Truth Center and the Truth Center community, we welcome you. We pray that you have been blessed by the word of God and that you will join us again and again. We have a few announcements just to keep us in line with what is going on here at Truth Center. Prayer produces intimacy. That's what we've learned here. And so we are still doing the Monday and Friday morning 6 a.m. prayers. It started last week, and we had some powerful times online. So we are encouraging you to please get online and pray. This is a time to be praying, saints. Also, our gathering, we're gathering online also by way of Zoom. Those of you who don't know, we have a, a service on Wednesday evenings at 7.30 on Zoom. So if you would please join us for our gathering, which is our interactive time of prayer and Bible study of the word. Our Good Friday services this year is going to be held online via Zoom. So we have three options for you, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. So we pray that you would take opportunity to join us for one of our services via Zoom for our Good Friday service. And we will have communion. So be prepared to take communion. And whichever service you plan to attend, we will have communion. And we are praying that our online church has been a blessing to each and every one of you as we continue to navigate these times that we are in, and we're just believing God that everything is going to be according to his will and his purpose in Jesus' name. TC, walk in victory. Have an awesome day on purpose. Again, let's reinforce Friday, Good Friday, three, uh, 11 a.m., 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and 7 p.m. We gave you those options so you can choose one. Uh, there will be a blast going out to all of you uh, to just alert you to what we're doing. We are looking forward to a great time. We are still going to honor God in the resurrection service. I heard somebody say this week, where are you going to church on Resurrection Sunday? Uh, in the bedroom or the living room? <laughs> well, we got options. Praise God. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you. Thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you, O oh God, for your word to us. We leave this place, never your presence. I pray that that same presence rest, rule, and abide upon every heart in this, that have joined us today and our friends. God, thank you for those who have chosen to, to make this their place of worship this morning. I pray, God, that they were infused with enlightenment from your word. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say this together. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one for another. God bless you.